0: Good morning, everyone. It is super good to be with you guys. As Jeff said, my name is Joe, and if we haven't had the pleasure of meeting before, I would love to do so maybe after the service. And if you're watching online with us and you're engaging us that way, I'm super glad that you've dialed in. Uh, Hopefully, you can come in and meet us someday. Even if you have to travel a couple states, that'd be great as well. Uh, But we're glad to be here, and unfortunately, that's not what I was planning on talking about at all. Uh, I'm just kidding. No, uh, I am excited to talk about this idea of giving it away. Um, it is something that has massively impacted my life, both as someone that has a few, had some opportunities to serve and step into those things, but also in those that have served us. And we, uh, as he also said, we're kind of wrapping up a series this morning. And so uh, we've been spending four weeks. On this idea of here and now, and kind of how to step into rhythms and environments that actually help us to grow in our faith, that actually help us to get closer and closer to Jesus, closer and closer to our uh, relationship with our Creator, and how we can actually have that vibrant expression of that faith and that spiritual life that Jesus promises that He wants to lead us to and show us. I think it's very, very helpful. Now, this series has been great, and we say this a lot around here, and we're not kidding, but if you haven't had a chance to be a part of the conversations yet uh, in this series, I want to highly recommend going back and listening to those. And so you can do that on our app. You can find it wherever podcasts are found. You can dive in there and listen and catch up. And somewhat ironically, uh, last week Jeff talked on this whole idea of uh, how we need to continue to gather together, how we need to continue to be a part of what God is doing as a church and how it charges us and how it keeps us, and that consistency helps us to grow. And the reason I say that's ironic is because last weekend I wasn't at church uh, and it was, uh, I I had a weekend away and um, I got to get together with four of my, or actually three of my college uh, friends who uh, we don't get to see each other that much anymore, because we live all over the country. And uh, these are guys that have been kind of in front of me and have helped me grow in my relationship with Jesus, and some guys that we can continue to pour into each other, to kind of next to us in our relationship. It's just been fun to keep those conversations alive, even uh, those relationships, even though we live all around the country. And so what we decided to do uh, last year, one of the guys had a, this great idea to, hey, let's make sure there's something intentional that we can do every year to make sure we Get together for at least once every year, and so one of the ideas that sparked and caught, and we're our second year into it, is uh, we're gonna do a 32 year NFL stadium tour. I'm like, that's fun, that's cool, let's do that. So, I'm really enjoying that. Last year, we went to Houston, and last weekend, we went to Baltimore. And so if you're a Browns fan, uh, you know that last week in Baltimore it was a great game. Uh, it was so good uh, to, to watch the Browns not only win, but do so in a dominating fashion. And I have never experienced um, watching the other team leave early from a game because the Browns were beating them that badly. I'm like, that's what that feels like, like that's really cool. Uh, it was so fun, uh, and it, I, I had you know, a really great time. We spent a couple of days together just catching up and, and celebrating that victory. But something really stuck out to me while I was at the Baltimore Ravens Stadium. And it wasn't the stench of you know, the traitorousness of taking a team from Cleveland, it wasn't any of that. Uh, what stuck out to me actually in Baltimore was quite the opposite. Uh, As as soon as I got onto the grounds uh, of the stadium and then as I navigated our way up to our seats and um, I I bet no less than 40 times either an employee of the stadium or a fan high-fived me, fist-bumped me or whatever and said something effective, we're glad you're here. Now, I'm I'm in my Odell Beckham, like, t-shirt, you know, like, I haven't got the jersey yet, because in Cleveland we get gun-shy about buying jerseys around here, you know, but, like, I got my Odell Beckham t-shirt, and, and my, my buddies were all in Browns gear, and we're all walking up there, and we're, I mean, we're getting, like, glad you're here, hope your team plays well, and I'm, like, I hope yours doesn't. I don't know, like, how do I even respond to that, you know, like, I mean, it was just, it was almost weird, right? And then even when we sat in our seats, the, the, the fans in front of us were like, hey, like, you know, we hope you have a good time. We're going to win. And I'm like, no, you're not, you know, but like, it was, I was just blown away with this constancy of being served, right? I, I thought for sure, I'm like, Chick fil A must have trained your employees because like something <laughs> is special that's happening right here at this stadium. And at first, I couldn't quite put my thumb on it, but then I had this kind of like overwhelming, I'm like, oh, like, these people have the full-blown mindset of, we're here to serve you. And it was so, like, earth-shattering to me, because I, I legitimately expected going into Baltimore in Brown's gear to be like, I don't get in many fights, but this might be the day. You know, like, I, I kind of was ready, and it was the opposite, right? And this is, and this is with something dumb. This is just football, Right? And still, this, this concept of service, this concept of, uh, of pouring into other people's lives and saying, no, we're here for you, was honestly somewhat life-changing. And so, not only do we get to see it sometimes in like silly ways, like going to uh, another city's football game, not only do we get to see it sometimes going into a God-ordained, wonderfully blessed restaurant like Chick-fil-A, uh, not only do we get to see it in these, these times where it's like, wow, Like these people are really giving us this vibrancy of service, Sometimes it plays out in incredibly powerful ways because we're allowing ourselves to be used by Jesus to see our lives transformed, to impact others and watch the ripple effect happen. Like service, serving, that mentality, that idea of giving our lives away for Jesus can be incredibly powerful. So that's what I want to get into today. And one of the reasons that it's so important for us is because our culture, our world is actually, if, I mean, if we're being honest, it's kind of a mess right now. Right There's all kinds of junk just coming at us from every angle all the time. Just people complaining, people's staunch opinions, actual injustices, discrimination, uh, poverty happening in places that doesn't make sense, systematic issues that need change. Our brothers and sisters right now in Haiti for instance, like what they're going through right now is absolutely um, unparalleled in their history and that's saying a lot for Haiti. The need that they have, the expression, that, like those kind of things are happening all over the world, and then we we couple that with just how we generally interact as a culture online, and the opinions that we have, and the way uh, we want to talk about life circumstances, like our world is full of junk. And each and every one of us wishes it was different, we wish something would change, we wish something would give, but we're not exactly sure where to do that, and so oftentimes people just, what we do is we stand up and we say, here's what I think. And while that can be good at times, I think Jesus calls us to something greater, something different, something much more meaningful and much more powerful. And that's kind of where I want to land today. And so if you would, uh, open up your Bibles to James chapter 2. And so if you don't have a Bible with you, that's fine. Uh, We have some Bibles in the chairs there. If you grab one of those Bibles, we'll be on page 978. Um, If you don't, you can follow along in the app uh, or you can even use some other Bible app or even just Google it, right? So James 2, we're gonna kind of hit some of these first chapters here, our first verses in this chapter. And James, uh, I think, has a uh, always has a great perspective because uh, he's Jesus' brother. And I don't know why I just always appreciate the fact that, like, if your brother is saying something high and uh, of praise to your about your other brother, like it must be real. Because I know that my brothers never accidentally compliment me. Uh, You know, like my brothers, if anything, are like Joe, that moron. Like you know, like we're we're brothers, and we kind of. But when when James is saying this is who my brother Jesus is and what it looks like, I just I just always find that fascinating. But he's gonna dive into this issue a little bit. Let's start here in verse one, James chapter two. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you've dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Or are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. Move on down to verse 14, he continues. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, well, you have faith, and I have deeds. Well, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. James is um, really kind of hitting us almost right between the eyes and kind of showing us what faith looks like, especially in this concept of service. And honestly, there is so many things we could draw from just that passage right there. Uh, there are, there's all kinds of principles, all kinds of applications, all kinds of truths and understandings we could get about God, but I want to kind of dial in to a few of these, and, and the reason is, is because this is incredibly encouraging, because many of us wish that, like, won't people, like, do what needs to be done today with all these injustices, all this oppression, all the poverty, all these things, won't, won't someone step up? Won't someone say, like, enough is enough, and help these people, and serve these people, and love these people? Can't we step into that? And we kind of, like, beg and long for that. And what's incredible about it is Jesus actually promotes that as well. He wants us to step into that. He wants us to address those issues, but not just with our words, but with action and with service, So let's take a look at a few of these verses in particular and draw a few things out about how I think uh, we can start to kind of dial into this aspect of life-giving service. In verse 14, he said, "Uh, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Um, I think... One of the main things that we have to understand about this idea of service is we're not just promoting some type of a philosophy, um, some type of an ideal, some type of a wouldn't it be nice if we could get together and do some things together, but it's this idea that we're actually looking at the Lord, we're looking at Jesus, our savior, we're looking at God, we're looking at our creator, and he is calling us to something in our life. That we're looking at the one that actually put us on this planet with a very specific purpose, and then he looks at us kind of in the eyeball through the lens of the scripture and says, it is time for you to do life in the way that I'm calling you to do it. And so one of the first things that I think we kind of have to rally our minds around is the, fi- the idea that we need to decide to actually respond, that this isn't just something that we're saying like, oh, I think I kind of might want to do that at some point in my life, But we're actually looking Jesus kind of, again, in the eyes and saying, I will follow you. He's a person. He's alive. He's active. He's calling us to something. If I was driving down the road behind a guy that was headed over to Chick-fil-A, not that I don't know my own way, but as he was headed down over there, and I'm like, well, I'm following that guy, but then I just pull over to the side of the road, and I just wait there, and I pause, and he continues on. And then a cop eventually comes by, like, what are you doing pulling on the side of the road? Oh, I'm following a guy to Chick-fil-A. He's like, you're not moving. Oh, I know, but I'm following him. Well, who? Well, he's up there somewhere. Well, where? Like, to follow is active. For us to follow Jesus, we're actually consistently looking to him and saying, where are you taking me? Where, where should we go? What's my next step? How should I live today? How should I, how should I do this? What do you want to teach me? What do you want to show me? What, how do you want to mold me? How do you want to transform me? God, I want to follow you. We have to decide to respond. That's what our faith is. Our faith is saying, Jesus, I'm looking at you and I want to take steps toward you, after you. I want you to show me what life can actually be like. What's amazing to me about this is this is the same God that does crazy things, because I think sometimes we can accidentally minimize him. But I don't know if you guys know this, because I just want to put God in a little bit of perspective for a moment. I don't know if you guys know this, but there is a giant rock floating outside of our planet. Like they call it a moon, but it's this giant rock, and it just floats there like all the time and spins around the earth, and it never crashes in, and we don't even question it. That makes no sense. There's a floating rock, right? Like if I walked over to your house and had a rock and said like, hey, I got this little dollhouse here for your kid, like watch this. And I let go of the rock and it starts floating around the dollhouse. I'm like, don't worry, it'll never crash into anything. It's perfectly there, don't worry about it. You'd be like, how did you do that? How does that work? And some of you are like, I took science class, I know how it works, gravitational pull, orbital structure, I know how all that works. I'm like, okay, that's fine, I get it. We've figured out how it works, but why? There's a giant rock floating around our planet. Like This makes no sense and we're not even worried about it. Not even close. And the rock that it's floating around also floats around a giant gaseous burning ball of fire. And we're not worried about that either. And we're like, we know this. Well, you know, if we were an inch closer to the sun, we'd all burn up. If we were an inch farther away, we'd all freeze. Like, that makes no sense that it's able to stay. I can't drive down two lanes that accurately, let alone the earth perfectly floating around the sun. Right? It makes no sense. And the God that put all of that in the motion, the God that said, watch this, is saying, come follow me. Let me show you how life works. Let me show you why I put you on this planet. And we have a chance and an opportunity to decide, to respond, and say, that's the faith I want to have. That's the life I want to have. I want to go after him. Now he continues a couple verses later, and he says, If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed. Now there's a couple of things here that I think is, is absolutely fascinating about this particular piece. And the first one is this. Jesus is trying to encourage us not to just say things that we wish would happen. So some of us, when we think in today's culture that we want to do something good, the first thing that comes to my, our minds, to my mind, is I've got to say something about it. I want people to know where I stand, I want people to know what I believe, I want people to actually know what my opinions are, I want, to know what, I, I want people to know what my stance is on these particular issues, I want people to know that I, I think this is unjust, I want people to know that I think this is oppression, I want people to know that this is wrong, I want people to know that this is right and this is good. But I think to a relative degree what James is encouraging here is, this, hey, don't, don't just step into a scenario and just say, go, I wish you well, I hope you're warm and well fed. Go to step in the scenario and say, hey, I think this is how this should happen. Wow, I think life would be a lot better if people would do this. We step sometimes into these environments where we're willing to say something, even if it's good. I want these people to be warm and fed too. But we stop there. And Jesus is saying, hey, like, let's, let's, I'm calling you to, to step into doing something about this. I want to call you into a faith that responds in Action. Now, the reason and the way that this actually plays out in a healthy way is to actually build a relationship, that we should step into an environment where we can actually build a relationship with someone, to actually get to know them, that we actually understand what they're going through, we actually understand where they're at. And this can seem hard, this can seem challenging, it can seem sometimes even impossible, depending upon who we're talking about. But what's crazy is this is exactly what has happened to us and what has brought us here at this very moment. That we are the sum total of our past. We are the sum total of the relationships that have brought us to this point. The fact that you're even in this room, the fact that you're even dialed in online, someone at some juncture in your life has invested in you enough and consistently enough to get you to at least think to yourself, I should investigate who Jesus is and what his life might mean for me. We don't just take the quick hits. We don't read the one-liners and see our lives drastically transform. What changes our life is consistent relationships over time. And so when we look into the, into the lives of people and we see folks that are in desperate need, we may, maybe we see uh, the homeless guy on the corner of Route 8 and some street and we're like, wow, he's in such a, a, a low place in his life that he's willing to stand publicly and say, I'm so desperate that I just need you to give me something. And that person that is... Truly, kind of like lowering their dignity to the point of admitting that to that level. And then we're just like, well, I hope they make it. I hope they're fine. I hope they're good. I hope someone feeds them. I hope they, they learn that there are resources in our community. And don't hear, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying we should stop every time for someone in that scenario. But I am saying this should be a deliberate prayer, a deliberate decision Right now, am I supposed to stop and engage this person? I've, I've brought sandwiches to people. I've had conversations with people. I've prayed with people. I even got to do the wedding of two people that were standing on the side of the road at one point in time. We got to know them, built a relationship. They gave their life to Christ. Five years later, the husband of that relationship, he died. And st- they were still, and she still is in a rough place. But you know what's different? He's in heaven now. And I, I promise you, it was about as awkward as I could possibly. I don't know how to have those conversations. I'm not necessarily good at just stopping and like, I mean, but I did it. And some other people did it. And we see those investments happen. And those relational investments, consistency over time, does something special that gets us beyond, I have an opinion, I think this should be done, I hope something happens, but we step into an environment, I'm willing to build a relationship with that person. By the way, again, not just that homeless person on the corner. It could be your neighbor. They frustrate you. They're annoying. You don't know why they do what they do. It could be the person that you, you know, I thought I was on the same page as that person, but now that I see some of the stuff they post online, I'm, I'm not so sure that I'm like them at all. And suddenly we distance ourselves, and we don't know why they have that opinion, and we're not sure why they would think that, and instead of... Instead of investing in that relationship and trying to discover and get to know and find the motivation and we're like, well, I hope they make it. I hope they, and it's so easy, unfortunately, for me to have those opinions where I will say something but not always step into building the relationship and making something happen. He continues on. In 16a, he says, uh, if one of you, build a relationship, said that, sorry. All right, then he says, but if someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. This is that idea that we have a lifestyle of service, that I want to show you that I believe in Jesus, I follow Jesus, and it should be obvious not because I show up to some public Jesus meetings, not because I have a few opinions that I want to make sure people know, not because I align myself with a certain ideology, but because my life reflects the service and the love of Jesus, that I'm committing to a lifestyle of saying, I want to be known as someone that loves and serves Christ, What's amazing about this is sometimes we kind of like get ramped up and we kind of get motivated, we kind of get inspired and I think I'm going to do something. I think I want to finally address that issue in my community. I think I'm going to actually go talk to my neighbor. I think I'm going to I'm going to sign up and I'm going to I'm I'm going to engage in the Power Kids ministry. I'm going to go mentor kids downtown. I'm going to finally go on that go team overseas. I'm going to do something. And we step into it and we try it and then all of a sudden we're like, "Oh gosh, that didn't that really didn't give me the warm tinglings I was expecting. Um, I didn't get to lead like ten people to Jesus this morning. Um, that 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 teenager doesn't like me very much. Uh, I'm not really sure. I'm not sure that adult likes me very much. I'm not sure that that person. Does anybody even know that I'm here? No one asked me. No one thanked me. I'm not. You know what? Gosh, I'm. I'm not sure that's really for me. But I would I would venture to to, to think through our most valuable things in life. Almost everything we start for the very first time, our very first introduction to almost anything in life is awkward. Like, we're just not good at it. It doesn't make sense. I have a a four-and-a-half-year-old daughter, and uh, this summer I was like, I want to at least start to show you what it's like to, like, you know, hit hit a ball to to play catch, all this kind of stuff. And so I get a wiffle bat. I get a wiffle ball. I hand her the bat. I'm like, you're going to learn it. She's like, okay, Daddy, I want to learn how to do this. And so I get the wiffle ball. I'm like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to toss it to you. And when it comes to you, you're going to try to hit it, okay? Watch the ball. Okay, ready? And I toss it. Ding, ding, ding. Did you see? Oh, that was, okay, swing. I mean, she, okay, okay, okay. So I grab the ball and I do it again. I I toss it. And she kind of goes, Like, kind of just drops the bat in front of her. Like, she was trying, right? And it was awkward, and I tried it, like, one or two more times, and she's like, Daddy, can we do something else, right? She's like, because it doesn't make sense to her. I thought the same thing when I tried out for baseball. I was terrible at baseball. My last inning in baseball ever, I had five errors by myself. I was 14. I was in high school. It was awkward. I'm done. Baseball wasn't my thing. I get it. All right. But, like, awkwardness up front is a no-brainer. The first time that we get to start a new school, the first time that we start a new job, those first days are super awkward. We don't know what we're doing, we don't know who those people are. Is that person my boss? They weren't told, I wasn't told they were my boss, but they kind of treat me like they're my boss. Okay, I guess, okay, I'm not sure how that works out. Do I, do I push, first day of school, Do they like me? Does my teacher like me? Are they gonna make fun of me? I don't even, I'm, I'm not sure where we're at, I didn't take this math class before, I think I'm in the wrong room, I mean, it's just all awkward. We meet someone that we like. We're like, wow, that person's kinda cute. You know, like, I hope they like me. Like, I'm gonna walk up, I'm gonna say something, I'm gonna text them, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk up, and you're just, it's all awkward. You're like, hi, you know, like, uh, you know, it's just, you know, and then even those of you that are like super confident, you're like, are you doing? You know, like, everyone else thinks it's awkward. Like, you're suddenly okay with it, but everyone else is like, I'm not, no, okay, like. It's always awkward. The fir- of course it's awkward, it's new, it's fresh, you've never done it before. And so we step into these environments, you're like, hey, I think I'm willing to lead a life group for the first time. Hey, I think I want to serve in this capacity. Hey, I think I want to help out with the teenagers. Hey, I think I want to serve coffee. Like whatever it might be, no matter what the service looks like, sometimes it's weird. Sometimes it's awkward. Sometimes it's not super smooth. And Jesus is like, I didn't call you to have this like rainbow version of a life where you just get to serve and everything works out and everything is amazing and happy and wonderful and there's roses and bunnies and flowers and... He's like, no, I'm just calling you to a lifestyle of service. I'm just calling you to a lifestyle of actually loving people. I'm calling you to a lifestyle of sacrificing part of your life for me. And And that's what Jesus is asking of us, that we would commit to the process. And what's amazing is when we do, we actually get to transform. Not only does our service start to create a ripple effect in the lives around us, But our lives start to change. Our faith becomes more vibrant. I believe more deeply in Jesus. I'm more excited to get into the scripture. I'm more excited to even come to church. I'm more excited to talk with my friends about it, to talk in my life group about it. I'm more excited to actually pray more because something is changing in me and I start to slowly see that God is using me all through my willingness to say, I will serve, I will love the way that you've asked me to do it. Now, back in verse eight, James says, "If you really keep the law found in Scripture to love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right, you're doing it right." I was in Atlanta the last couple days, and uh, I keep hearing this in my head with a Southern accent, like it's gonna be loving, you know, it, it's gonna have some love in it, sugar, you know. Like it was just, it's amazing how being in the South a little bit, and suddenly you want to talk with a draw. Didn't even grow up there. It was just all of a sudden, it's like you know what. It's like peas and carrots. You know, it's just like, you just want to want to go there. But I just kind of hear, for whatever reason, this phrase, just kind of having that, because I don't know if it feels warmer or what. It's like, it's going to have a little bit of love, you know. And, and when we think about how we serve, it's about loving our neighbor. It's not about being right. It's not even just about doing the right thing. It's about being loving It's about helping people understand that they are valuable, that Jesus loves them, that there is a plan for their life, that God wants to interact with them, that he's inviting them into something greater, that you see them where they're at and you want to help them get to where they need to go with Jesus. It's having love in it. And sometimes this starts to be easy. If you love kids, if you love babies and you get to walk into like a nursery and there's this cute little bundle of joy that's six months old and they're just cooing and kind and you're holding them. You're like, this is the cutest little thing in the whole wide world, right? You're like, I get it. This is what service is and I'm in my happy place. But five minutes later when that blowout happened all over your forearm and they're screaming at you and you can't figure out, like, what does this baby do? It You don't shake a baby, don't do that. Okay, that's not good. But like, you're not sure what to do, right? You're like, suddenly, those warm tinglys are gone, you're not sure you wanna do it anymore, but I'll tell you what, when you clean up and you help out and you make sure that that baby is back to kind of a clean, normal state, and you hand it back to that, and like, hey, by the way, like, these clothes are your kids' clothes, you handle those, but I handled the baby, and here's a new outfit for them because they needed it. Like, all the, all of a sudden, that parent feels welcome, they're like, oh, someone actually loves my my child? Someone cares for my kid? Wow, this is incredible. And just that loving level of service because we could just as easily go, oh, I did not sign up for that, right? We could just as easily say, well, I didn't sign up for, but Jesus said, no, 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 no. It's about loving people. And sometimes loving people, we do it when it's hard. We, we love people when it doesn't make sense. We love people anyway, even when they're not lovable. And this is the example that Jesus set for us what Jesus was in his last hours as he's being beaten, as he's being flogged, as he's having a corn, crown of thorns put on his head, as, as he's being mocked. Jesus' response on the cross to these folks is forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. Even at the depth of the depravity of humanity, he is still saying, I love you. Forgive them. I'm here. For, I'm dying for them. I'm here. He's sacrificing himself, even for people that are unlovable. Even when your neighbor is dumping his oil pan out in your yard, right? Even when the neighbor kids are way too loud at the wrong hour of the night. Even when those kids mistreat you and try to bully you at school. Even when your coworkers keep taking all the credit for your hard work. Even when the boss is taking all the credit. Even when when you go down the street and someone cuts you off. No matter what the scenario, even the person that disagrees with you, they don't understand you, they don't have the same ideologies, they don't have the same faith as you, we, we love them. And Jesus is like, right, we, we, we love them. I'm, I'm trying to express that our Heavenly Father loves them so much that even when they don't deserve it, I will still reach my hand out for them and call them toward home. I will love them. And if we're going to have that alive faith, we are gonna make sure that it's got a lot of love in it, sugar, we wanna make sure that it's loving. Now James actually continues on in chapter four. He actually walks us through a few more things because sometimes as we look at these four things, we might have the reaction, okay, that's nice, but wow, like I'm, I'm kind of, I'm not sure that's right for me right now. Well James kind of gets into that too, and in, and in chapter four, verse 13, he starts, He says, now listen, You who say, well, today or tomorrow, we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, and carry on business and make money. Wait, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live, and we will do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes all such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Some of us have this mindset that I'll just, I will just got to get past where I'm at now. And things, were, when, when they're a little less crazy, when, when I'm not quite as busy, when things are a little bit more put together, then, then maybe I'll start to think about what, what Jesus wants me to do. And James says, what, what is your life? We're a amiss. It, it goes away so fast. I remember being in high school and having this thought process of like, I think I kind of want to do something good in this world. But I had no idea what that looked like. And I wasn't even legal yet. Like whatever that means. Not even the bad stuff. Just, I, mean, I can't like move out on my own. I'm 14. I don't know what to do. Right, I guess I'll just wait till I get a little bit older. And then I remember getting into college and at that point in time I had just given my life to Christ and I'm like, I want to do something for Jesus, but then college hit me like a ton of bricks. I thought I knew how to study in high school. I didn't. I had to learn how to study. I had to learn how to write, like, all these different things. I'm like, I got so much work to do. I'm buried under my course load. I was playing football for part of that time, and so I'm trying to figure out, like, how to balance that with my workouts and my team meetings and all this kind of stuff, and I'm trying to figure it out. And I remember a couple of uh, my, my fellow Christians, they say, hey, Joe, do you want to help out with this thing? And I'm like, I can't. I'm too busy. I got this stuff going on. Like, when college settles down, then, then maybe I'll do something with my life. And then I, I, right before my senior year of college, I met this cute girl, and I said, hey, check yes or no. Do you like me? Let's do something. And she said yes, miraculously. And so we got to go out a couple times. We started to fall in love. I said, okay, like, we're trying to spend our free time together, get to know each other. Like, I still don't, but I don't have time to do these things. So once college is done, once, once we're kind of settled, then I'll start to figure out what God wants for my life. And then we got married, and we were in one of those situations where we're working, like, five part-time jobs just to make ends meet. And we're trying to figure out, like, so when our work schedule dies down, and then, and then we had a kid, right? And then, like, that, that doesn't make sense. And then I, I got involved at a church, and I tried to start doing those things, but I was just trying to, like, get the job done because life was feeling a little bit out of control. And I'm trying to figure out what does God want, but I got these things happening. I eventually made my way to Grace Church. Right, And I felt like that was stepping into part of of my role. But even, even in vocational ministry, that's not the answer to everything. Because sometimes there are days where it feels like I'm just doing my job. I got emails to answer. I got administrative tasks to do. I got to handle this thing. I got errands to run. I got to meet with these people. I got appointments to make. And yes, it is birthed out of this relationship with God. But there's the temptation to say, well, I just got to get this stuff done. And then I can do what God really wants me to do. And so then I had the the kid and I got to dial some of that back and I got to figure out, I got to invest in them and I got to do this and I got to be available. I got to travel less. I got to make sure that's happening, right? And now my daughter wants to do stuff. Ah, oh, what's the deal? She was supposed to be a hermit, you know, like, but no, no, she wants to do ballet, right? And she wants to play in game day. And I'm like, honey, if you can't swing a bat better than this, dribble on the ball, you can't, woo, okay, anyway. But like, she wants to do game day. She wants to do that stuff. And we all know how that's going to continue to play out. She's going to want to do something else. If basketball doesn't work, it'll be volleyball. And if volleyball doesn't work out, it'll be, you know, it, 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 just on and on and on. She'll try to find these activities. And I'm going to be a soccer dad driving around to these different things and trying to make this happen and hit the concert and do this activity. And my wife and I are trying to get the house paid off and we're trying to make sure that's handled and then the gutters need done and then this that and the other so when all of that craziness dials down maybe when my daughter's in high school and she doesn't want to be around us anyway like maybe then we'll start to dive into some of these dreams that we have that we feel like god but then we're like college starts and we got to pay for college and so you dial back again and you're trying to figure those things out and then she meets a boy right and he she checks yes and he checks yes and okay we're gonna get together and then i'm gonna threaten him Right? And then, like, but they're gonna start dating and they're starting to get together and then we're gonna pay for the wedding because she's our daughter and then this and then she's gonna have a kid and then we're gonna be grandparents and we're to be around. And eventually we're gonna get to this place where like I'm 87 years old and I finally have some free time. I can like see it happening now. But I've met some 87 year olds and they're spending 90% of their life trying to stay alive, trying to make it to 88. Right? like. And that's not always true. Matter of fact, my, my grandmother-in-law, she actually won a volunteer service award for the state of Ohio at 89, right? Like, So I'm not picking on you if you're 87, but you know. Uh, like, but what, I, what I'm trying to illustrate, what I've already found in my own life, and man, as I think ahead, I, I'm not gonna find a good season to do what I know God is nudging me to do. There's not gonna be a season in our life where suddenly it feels like, okay, everything is finally settled down, and I'm not that busy, and now I have time to. And on top of that, our life is a vapor, our life is a mist. It's going by so fast. I'm only in my mid-30s, and I'm like, where did the time go? We're doing a 15-year anniversary for college? How's that possible? Where'd that go? My kid's four and a half already, are you serious? And there's one thing I know from those 87-year-olds, it only gets worse. It only gets faster. And so we have to understand that our lives are going quickly and our lives' busyness and our lives' seasons and the things that are happening in and around us and in our family, none of it was a surprise to God. We don't go to him and say, did you... Well, my daughter wants to do ballet, Jesus. And he's like, oh, well, hang on. Let me let me rework this up. I didn't know ballet was going to be. He, he knows what he's calling us to. He knows the priorities he's trying to set. And he knows the life and the vibrancy that we'll discover if we follow him in it. Sometimes life feels a little bit crazy because it's crazy. And sometimes life feels a little bit crazy because we're not in the priorities that God designed us and created us for. And the reason it feels out of whack is because we're not in step with Jesus. And the reason it feels like things are out of control is because we're not stepping into the hand of the one that has it in control. And it seems like we know the way to go and the plans that we need to have, but what Jesus is saying is actually, I'm the one that knows how this works. There's a fascinating story in Luke chapter five. Jesus goes up to a group of fishermen. And these fishermen are cleaning their nets and they're putting their gear away and they're closing up shop for the day. They know what they're doing. They're fishermen. Their dads are fishermen. Their grandparents are fishermen. They know how to fish. They know how to catch fish. It's how they make their living. And this guy, with all the nerve in the world, steps up and says, cast your nets one more time. Jesus walks up and says, hey, that thing that doesn't make sense, that you know everything about, you know everything about. Put that aside and cast your nets one more time. This is as crazy as telling a van full of kids you're taking them to Chick-fil-A on a Sunday, right? It is not going to work. They are not going to get their chicken. And those fishermen are like, the fish are not open, right? Like you're not going to catch anything. But they must have heard enough about who Jesus was and what he's done and what he's about to at least oblige him. So they go back out to the boat, they cast their nets, and they catch so much fish. Their boat can't even handle it. They actually have to call over another boat. Come help us with all this fish. Imagine going to Chick-fil-A on a Sunday and they're giving out free breakfast biscuits. Like it's just, it makes no sense. But there it is, plentiful. Huge in ways that they never could have imagined. And again, these fishermen knew that it would not happen. This is not time to fish. Now what's crazy to me about how Jesus responds after these guys kinda go nuts, they're shocked. They might even be a little bit terrified. Jesus doesn't say, hey, now that I've proven to you that I know how to catch fish and I can make fish happen, here are five easy principles on how to boost your fish acquisition. That's not what Jesus gets into. He doesn't say, hey, now that I've shown you that if you do, here's three principles on how to boost teamwork and to watch teamwork finally achieve what you've been trying to do in the fishing field. He doesn't even say, now that you know how awesome I am, like, you believe in me? That's great, cool, drop the mic, I'm out, believe in me, cool, see ya. He doesn't even just say that. he blows my mind with what he does say. He says, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll fish for people. Jesus was not helping them catch a boatload of fish so that they could be just better fishermen. He wasn't helping them catch a boatload of fish just to say like, look how awesome I am, believe in me, that's the end of the story. He helped them catch a bunch of fish to get their attention and then to say, now that I have your attention, let me show you what I actually created you to do. Now that I have your attention, now that you believe that I am who I say I am, now that you understand the love and the power that is found in me, let me show you what I had in mind. I know you had plans. I know you had a business plan. I know you had a trajectory for your family. I know you were thinking you would do this but I want to show you what you were created for. I want to show you why you were born when you were born. I want to show you why you were born with that family. I want to show you why you had this great life or why you had this bad life and I want to show you what to do with it. I want to show you why you're in the room right now, why you're dialed in online right now. I want to show you why you're at where you're at. It's not, just, it's not just to say I'm awesome. And it's not just live a better version of your own plans in life. It's so that we can understand that this God that holds a moon up in the sky, this God that has created this, this God that has offered his life on the cross as a sacrifice for our mistakes, This God has a plan for us and dreams for us and ripple effects that he's planning on our life having for years and generations to come. He's calling us to serve. He's calling us to a faith that is alive if we would just step into it. Now some of us, we're, we're swirling in some emotions right now. We're swirling in some feelings. We're swirling and wondering, how am I gonna to respond to this? And some of us, if we're being honest, we're, we're almost hearing this a little bit apathetically. And we're like, ah, okay, I get it, but no. I'm, I'm, I am busy, Joe, you don't understand. Me and Jesus talked, and I'm the anomaly, I'm the exception. He's not calling me to serve. I've found that being and acting this way and having this emotion and attitude gets me far in life. I'm gonna keep, I'm just gonna kinda keep going the way I'm going. And I would lovingly and gently but seriously ask you to just pause and dial in with Jesus on why that attitude would exist. Because James says, if your actions aren't following your faith, If your faith has no deeds, if your faith isn't loving other people, if your faith isn't serving other people, that faith is dead. So be careful. Now, some of us, we want to serve, but we're like, I don't want to put any Jesus into it. Like, I'll help people but like, I don't want to like tell people about Jesus. I don't want to tell, tell people why I feel this way. I don't want to tell people why I'm serving. I'm just, I just want to be a good person. I want to help people when I can, and then they'll ask me one day, why do you do this? And I'll be ready to say, because Jesus, that's why. I want to caution you against that, because now you're, you're, you're serving, but without the faith aspect. Because in life, when we are quote-unquote just good people... That's actually what the unbelieving world expects of humanity. So when you're just a good neighbor and you keep your grass mowed appropriately and you're not a jerk and you keep your kids relatively in line or you don't stay up too late with your friends too loudly and your neighbors, they don't look across the driveway and say like, you know, I wonder if they have the hope that my soul desperately longs full in the void of my life. No, they're saying, wow, like my neighbor's a good neighbor and they might not even think anything of it. The classmate that you get to work with on a school project, and you, you, you worked hard, and you helped them, and you served well, and you did your part, they're just like, wow, I got a good classmate. Lucky me. The coworker worker they're like, I served well, I helped well, I stay late, I work. there's like, wow, they, they hired someone right. This is great. I'm so glad I work with them on the team. We, we, we expect good of each other. And so if we don't figure out and we're not praying about Jesus help me to show that you are my hope, that you were the ultimate end of my love. Help me to show that to my neighbor. Help me to show that to the person I work with. Help me to show that to my family. Then we're actually doing very unloving things because we're not even leading them to the point of why we serve how we serve and to the point of life. Some of us were, were in and you are serving, and this is the way that you want your life to go, and you do want to offer your life to Jesus fully, and you do want your life to reflect the heart and the mind and the sacrifice of Jesus, And I want to encourage you, keep it up, because those investments, that relationship over time, that consistency, It is making a difference today and it is making a difference five years from now and it is making a difference generations from now because you're a part of the fold of making Jesus make sense to a culture that does not understand love, that does not understand who God is. Keep it up and continue to inspire each other to step into that. And some of you are in and you don't even know where to start. Some of you are like, this sounds great, but what do I do? This sounds awesome, but I don't know, how do I even jump into this? And part of it is gonna to happen today, where you're gonna, maybe you're gonna to go to lunch, and you're, the way that you treat the server, the way that you treat each other as a family, the way that you don't argue on the drive to the restaurant, the way you're gonna serve each other, you're gonna start looking at the other person in the family and say like, well I guess you spent X amount of time cooking for me, maybe I'll help with the dishes. Mom, right, like I, I'm, I'm just willing to serve. I'm willing to have that mindset. I'm willing to help out. I'm willing to be a part of it. Some of you, you're like, you weren't thinking about going to Discovery Group today. But now you're like, I need to be in. My faith needs to be alive. I need to be a part of what's going on. I want to be a part of what Jesus is doing collectively through all of us. Lunch is provided. Hop down there. Jump into Discovery Group and start to take the steps. Decide to respond. Commit to a lifestyle of service and let's do this together. Maybe you're ready to sign up for that first go team. Maybe you're ready to sign up to serve in the community. Maybe you're ready to sign up to serve on one of the teams here. And you're ready to say, even if it's awkward, even if it doesn't make sense at first, even if I'm not sure it for sure has an impact, I'm willing to serve at the leisure and the pleasure of my Lord and to be a part of what he's calling me to. And as we serve and as we live that lifestyle... He creates that vibrancy in us, our faith comes alive, and then he can show you everything your life was meant to be created for and meant to be a part of. Wherever we're at on this spectrum, what we're supposed to do now is to go to Jesus, to follow him, to ask him, to seek him, Say, Jesus, what what for real do you have for me? And God, the one that hangs the moon above our planet, the one that has rescued me from sin, the one has forgiven me from anything, I will do whatever it is you want me to do. And the life that we will find in that kind of service, in that attitude, it will blow our minds. The band's going to come out and they're going to create some space for us. And the lyrics of these songs just kind of really dive into this idea that we are here for Jesus. And again, wherever you're on that spectrum, just spend some time to dial into that. Jesus, what what do you want from me? Jesus, what do you have me here for? So as as we sing, as we worship, as we reflect... Even now, between you and God, give give your life to him. And I I don't even just mean, even though this is cosmically important, I don't even just mean so that he can save you. I mean so that he can show you what he saved you for. Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for this honor and privilege that we have of being invited to serve with you. Lord, I don't don't deserve it. I'm a mess. My priorities are not always in line. I don't always see you clearly. I don't always do it well. And sometimes it is awkward. And yet, every time I listen to you and follow you and obey you and love you, every time, you're faithful to do something with it and continue to mold and shape my life. Father, I pray for those of us in the room that are wrestling with this right now. I pray you would soften our hearts, that you would show us who you are and who we are in response to you. Help us to see you and want to follow after you. For those of us that are excited, we want to serve, we want to figure it out, we want to be a part of it. I pray that you would keep us on those train tracks, that you would keep us with a heart after you, and that as we pursue you, as we serve you and we serve others, that you would continue to just light up our life, with purpose, with excitement, with a vibrancy that we couldn't have imagined on our own, as you take us from the plans that we thought we had for our life, but you show us instead how to be fishers of men. God, we truly are here for you one way or the other. Show us who you are. It's your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.